This evening we're looking at Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through to 8, the wickedness of Sodom. In Genesis chapter 18, the previous chapter, it was seen that three men stood by Abraham at the tent of, at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. One of the men was the Lord and the other two were seen to be angels. Whilst the Lord continued to commune with Abraham, the other two heavenly visitors headed off towards Sodom. And that brings us to chapter 19, where we see in verses 1 to 3, and there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot seeing them rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house. And tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly. And they turned in unto him and entered into his house. And he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread and they did eat. So first of all, we can look at the hospitality of Lot towards his heavenly visitors. In chapter 18, the hospitality of Abraham towards his three visitors was considered last week. Now in chapter 19, it can be seen that Lot was also a genial host in that he insisted that his two visitors enter into his house whereupon a feast was prepared for them. What was pointed out when Abraham's hospitality was considered can only be repeated again this evening. Hospitality is wholly consistent with being a child of God. We've seen it with Abraham in the first few verses of chapter 19. We see it with Lot. And it is wholly consistent with being a child of God. For example, in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, it is written, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Bear in mind that these two men that we see arriving at Lot's house in verse 1 are in fact angels, or the two men that went to Sodom in chapter 18 are declared to be angels in chapter 19 and verse 1. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul spoke about being given to hospitality. And there's quite a lot in the New Testament about hospitality. Interestingly, the Greek word that is translated hospitality in Romans chapter 12 verse 13 is the same Greek word that is translated entertain strangers in 13, Hebrews 13 verse 2. Hospitality, entertaining strangers, same Greek word. Jesus brings hospitality and the entertaining of strangers together in Matthew chapter 25 when he says that when you take in strangers, even the least of the brethren, you do it unto him. 
Whatever we do for the least of the brethren, fellow Christians, we do as unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we can consider the depravity of the men of Sodom. Let's have a look at verses 4 and 5. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, and they called unto Lot, and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. <clears throat> the men of Sodom, they surrounded Lot's house, and in verse 5, we see that they called out to him, Bring them, that is, his guests, his two guests, out unto us, that we may know them. Don't imagine that a welcoming committee had arrived and simply wanted to extend a warm and hearty welcome to Lot's two visitors. Far from it. The reality was that not just a few, but a a sizable proportion of the men of Sodom, both old and young alike, had come to Lot's house seeking to engage in sexual activity with his visitors. As John Gill explained, I'm going to do a lot of hiding behind John Gill tonight, by the way. As John Gill, the Bible commentator, explained, their meaning was that they might commit that unnatural sin with them they were addicted to and in common used, and which for uh, in, and which from them to this day bears the name of sodomy. The homosexual depravity of the men of Sodom is mentioned in the New Testament as being an example to us in that they suffered the judgment and punishment of eternal fire. As it is written in Jude, chapter 1, verse 7, there is only one chapter in Jude, verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, it's an example to us today. It really happened, it's history, and it's an example for us today. Once again, Gill, he had very strong words to say in his comment about the men going after strange flesh. He said, Going after strange flesh or other flesh, meaning not other women besides their own wives, but men, and designs that detestable and unnatural sin, which from these people is called sodomy to this day, and which is an exceeding great sin, contrary to the light of nature and law of God, dishonourable to human nature and scandalous to a nation, and people. According to verse 24, if you just want to glance over to verse 24, let's have a look at that. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. So according to verse 24, the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah when he rained brimstone and fire 
upon those cities. Even so, that example of the vengeance of God, we see it as an example in the New Testament in Jude. That example seems to have fallen on sinfully deaf ears when you consider the promotion, celebration, proliferation of homosexuality in our land. Furthermore, just as the men of Sodom no doubt sought to force themselves upon Lot's two visitors in order to satisfy the lust that burned inside their wicked hearts, the sexually depraved of today are becoming more and more militant and brazen in their endeavours to satisfy their vile addictions. For example, by invading our schools and indoctrinating and sexualizing our children. Sodom has become a byword for the open and shameless indulgence in sexual depravity, particularly homosexual activity, so much so that its name has become associated with sexually depraved people who pursue the wickedness that was so widespread back then in that city. And even to this day, sexual deviants are sometimes referred to as sodomites, wherever they might be in this wicked world. As you may well imagine, when a society is plagued and devastated by homosexual sin, such as was the case in Sodom, that sin does not stand alone. Rather, it is accompanied by all manner of other evils, and that is the consequence of people forsaking their maker, almighty God, forsaking his holy laws, and God giving them up to their vile affections. In other words, God withdrawing his restraining grace. Unless you have your head buried deep in the sand, right up to your ankles, you must surely see that to be the reality on our little island home, with a rise not just of unashamed and unabashed homosexual sin, which is promoted, flaunted and celebrated at so-called gay parades, uh, gay pride events, and also of various other evils as people defiantly deny the Creator God and instead they worship the things that have been created. But you know what? Just as the vengeance of the Lord was poured upon Sodom and Gomorrah, God will not always strive with men. A day has been appointed when the Lord Jesus Christ will come again in judgment. And when that day comes, he will take vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. They will be cast into flaming fire and punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That said, the grace of God is infinitely greater than even the greatest of man's depravities, infinitely greater than the sin that we see in Genesis chapter 19. And there is forgiveness for all who repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, whatever those sins may be. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We'll have a look at Lot's intervention. Verse 6. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. The level of hospitality that Lot afforded his two guests was elevated to an even higher level when he courageously went out of his house and shut the door behind him, effectively placing himself as a barrier between the men of Sodom and his two guests, who, as angels, were, were, were well able to, to defend themselves against whatever came their way, whatever uh, came their way from the Sodomites. However, what happened next, even though it was not unforgivable, it was nevertheless inexcusable. Verses 7 and 8. Seven and eight. So Lot, he's shut the door, he's gone outside, shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you. And do ye to them as it is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Some of the commentators have endeavoured, I would say rather unconvincingly, to defend Lot's actions. For example, it has been said that he, Lot, selected the lesser of the two sins... And also that he protected his guests and discharged the duties of hospitality incumbent on him. John Calvin was having none of it. He said, Lot does not hesitate to prostitute his own daughters, that he may restrain the indomitable fury of the people, but he should rather have endured a thousand deaths than have resorted to such a measure. And so might we all concur with Mr. Calvin. Having said that, we need to be very careful not to condemn Lot. Especially given what the infallible and the inerrant word of God says about Lot in the New Testament. Let's have a look what the New Testament says. I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through to 8. You can follow along with me if you wish. 2 Peter, chapter 2. Verses 4 through to 8. The first few verses don't immediately apply to, uh, don't directly apply to Lot. Anyway, 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow 
making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. Same thing as we've read in Jude, isn't it? And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. It's the word of God there. Those three descriptions of Lot, just Lot, that righteous man and his righteous soul, they are unmissable and unmistakable. And remember that it is not so much the Apostle Peter, but the holy and righteous God who declares Lot to be righteous. You might question how it was possible for Lot to be declared righteous or upright or accepted by God, despite the fact that he offered his two daughters to the depraved men of Sodom in the place of his two guests. It's only natural that you'd want to, you might query that one, because instinctively, even if you're not a Christian in here, whether you're Christian or not, you, you, you know that God is holy. Even those of you who aren't Christians, even those of you who say there is no God, you know that God is holy, the God who you deny. So you can't really compute it. How Lot, with his behaviour there, that we've just looked at in Genesis chapter 19, how he can be declared righteous, just, vexed in his righteous soul, and so on. How is it possible If you do question it, that is probably because it is the natural inclination to condemn others and dismiss their acceptance before a holy and righteous God because of their sinful conduct. However, what needs to be understood is that all have sinned, all come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And that, dear friends, includes you, and includes includes me. None of us in here. And every time you point the finger at another person, you point well, how many fingers at yourself, three fingers at yourself, when you're busy pointing at everyone else. Since we're all sinners, which means that none of us love God with our whole being, none of us loves our neighbour as ourselves, All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in God's sight. There's only one righteousness that is acceptable to God and that is his own perfect righteousness which is imputed or credited to all who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour from sin. In Lot's case, Jesus who would come into the world 2,000 years later, the very fact that that man was declared righteous, just Lot, and I read it, I, I, I understand that as him being justified by faith in the Christ who was to come into the world. Just like you, if you're a Christian in here now, trusting in Christ alone. All our righteousness are as 
filthy rags in God's sight. God have made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. What that means is that all who have shown repentance towards God and faith in his beloved son, believing that Jesus never sinned and at the cross he sacrificially laid down his life, bearing away sin, your sins if you're trusting in him, bearing away your sins in his own body. Such people are crucified with Christ. That's what Paul said about himself. And that is you, dear Christian. You are crucified with Christ. You are risen to new life in Jesus. And now you stand before God, your heavenly Father, accepted not in yourself, but in in the beloved Son of God, And you're clothed in his righteousness. You stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Never forget that. That doesn't mean to say that you can be cavalier, have a casual attitude towards sin. Far from it. You know, it's not because you stand before God clothed in Christ that you've got a license to sin. You're free from the condemnation of God's law, but that means you are free to serve God. Not to serve sin, not to serve Satan, but to serve the God of your salvation. And what a privilege and what a joy that is to serve God. So you don't have a cavalier, casual attitude towards sin. Far from it. You hate and you abhor sin. Not just the sin of others, but most of all your own sin. And it is your prayer to live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, is it not? Alas, you do still sin. We've seen it. We've seen a terrible example of it in in, um, Genesis chapter 19 here with righteous lot. You still sin. You continue to be conscious of the fact that it is by the grace of God alone that you are saved and that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As such, a Christian is someone who acknowledges that he is a wretched man and that in his flesh dwelleth no good thing whilst at the same time he thanks God through Jesus his Lord, who never ever sinned and who carried the weight of his or your vile sins at the cross, all your sins, past, present and future. Coming back to righteous Lot, as I've already said, offering his daughters to those vile men was inexcusable. Maybe... Out of fear and confusion, when he opened his mouth, he proceeded to say words that he would deeply regret and repent of. I don't know. I say that because I'm very good at doing the same thing, opening my big mouth and um, putting my foot in it. And he would have been under a lot of stress at the time. Not making excuses for him. Last of all, 
If you are someone who has not yet trusted in Jesus and you imagine that your own self-righteousness will be enough for God to spare you and not condemn you, if you're someone who's busy looking at at Lot rather and thinking, well, I've never ever done anything like that, that's for sure. As I've said, all have sinned. All come short of the glory of God. Ultimately, the law of God, it's about loving God with your whole being. There's no one in here who loves God with his whole being. There's one or two of you in here who will insist that there is no God or you dare to to live your lives as if there is no God. The law also tells us to love our neighbours ourselves. We don't do that unless it suits us. And it's only by the grace of God that we're not busy doing what other people do. The, the things that we read of in this world. Terrible things going on in this world. It's there go I, but for the grace of God. I've, I've mentioned this so many times. Uh, another one that I hide behind, um, McLaren, one of the preachers of old. He said, every known seed of sin is in my heart. This was a preacher, a godly man. And he still admitted that every seed of sin, all known sin was in his heart. And if you don't flesh it out, that sin, that is by the grace of God. But don't get big-headed about it, because none of us here have anything about us to commend ourselves to God. Not a thing. It is by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. And even then, as we've seen with Lot, boy, can you do things wrong. And there are others. We all know about them in the Old Testament. Old Testament saints who sin grievously. David, in one of his Psalms, he said, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And yet... He is described as a man after God's own heart. That's grace. So, if you're not, if you have not yet trusted in Jesus and you imagine that you can stand before God in your own righteousness, that you can commend yourself to God because you're not like so and so and so and so, forget it. No matter how great or morally upright you vainly imagine yourself to be, you will receive the full force of the vengeance of God, just like the wicked men of Sodom, even if you've never committed such abominations. Therefore, repent, be baptised, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and you will praise God forevermore, praising him for having mercy upon you and giving you a wonderful hope in Jesus, your Lord and Saviour. Amen.